You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Heminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts odds maker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 7 event, which takes place at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 7 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN and ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a bantamweight contest between Timur Valiev, who is 16 and 2, and Trevin Jones, who is 12 and 6. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Real quick note here before we get rolling. The opening betting odds that I'm referring to are from MMAOddsBreaker.com, our opening odds article from Adam Martin for UFC Fight Night, Munoz versus Edgar. So make sure you head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com and check out that article. Those are all the opening odds that I'm quoting, and they are market opening prices. Now, the current betting odds that I will be using are from Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. So those are all the current odds via Circa Sports. So just to clarify, the opening odds are market openers, and then the current odds are from Circa Sports. So Getting into the first fight, as Brian just mentioned, Valia versus Jones. Jones stepping on an extremely short notice. So this line is not widely available quite yet, but it will be obviously here in a few hours. Um, the opening line was Valia of minus 385. The comeback on Jones was sitting at around plus 265. And right now what we're seeing, market price for this fight is about minus 430 or so for Valiov. The comeback on Jones around plus 310. So more action already coming in Valiov's way. Not surprising. I mean, Jones is taking this fight, like I said, extreme short notice. Um, but I got to give the UFC a lot of credit here. They went out and got a great replacement for somebody stepping in uh, this close to fight day. I mean, Jones is definitely a talented fighter. He deserves his spot in the UFC. I mean, this guy has the total package, really. He's got some speed on the feet. He's got a little bit of power to go along with it. He has solid experience for being outside of the UFC. I like his grappling ability as well. He's dangerous. He's got, has good guillotine chokes and the ability to finish you on the ground. So this is not going to be a gimme fight, despite the line getting bet up a little bit. And, you know, odds indicating, obviously, that Veliev should win this fight. I do think he should win this fight, and I think he probably is a level above Jones overall. Uh, but make no mistake, Jones is going to be very game. And if you look at Jones's resume, I mean, most of his losses – are by split decision. So even in, in his losses, they're very competitive fights. He basically fights up to the level of his competition. If that's the case, he'll fight up to a high level here against Valia. But I think he still gets beat. He still gets controlled a little bit. He still gets outpointed in this fight. Um, and I think Valia gets it done. So my pick is Valia. But at the betting window, you cannot lay 400. I wouldn't have laid 385, to be honest with you. I think you stay away from it. I mean, there's just, you know, obviously Valia has a big advantage. Again, he's not taking this fight on short notice, the skill set's there as well. But at this price against a capable fighter like Jones, there's no value there in my opinion. So you just leave it alone and watch and enjoy it. So the pick for me is Valiev. Yeah, this is a really interesting fight because uh, Jones is taking the fight on super short notice. And while he does have a 12-6 and six record, that record is deceptive. Uh, I mean, you look, his last three losses are all by split decision. So this guy has had competitive fights uh, basically since 2014. The, the last time he had a fight that was not uh, either a win on his part or a split decision loss uh, was back in 2013 when he uh, lost by rear naked choke. So uh, this guy has had a long career. He's 30 years old. He's been fighting professionally since 2011. Uh, he's a good athlete and he's, it's kind of an interesting, like he's from New Orleans, uh, but he trains, uh, I believe out of Guam and he's been fighting primarily in South Korea. So a uh, really interesting cat to be making his UFC debut on super short notice. And, uh, Valiev, 
Uh, you know, this guy is super talented. So I'm fully expecting that he's going to be up to the challenge. I was expecting Valiev to be able to defeat his original opponent, uh, Mark Striegel, who unfortunately, uh, backed out here at the last minute. And, uh, that is primarily based on the fact that he's a, a well-rounded, talented fighter. Uh, I think, uh, Valiev has a really good, uh, aggressive offensive skill set. Yeah, he has strong striking. You know, he's got that Dagestani killer instinct. Um, and you know how many good fighters have come out of there. So I just expect Valiev to be the more prepared fighter. He's had the full training camp. Obviously, uh, Jones is talented, so don't take him lightly, but, uh, he is, we're asking a lot of him, uh, on super short notice against a guy with a pretty strong track record. So, uh, I think Valiev gets it done. Uh, I think that he keeps it upright and he should get the better of Jones on the feet over the course of three rounds, if not getting a finish. So Valiev is my pick. Now moving up to the welterweight division, we have Matthew Semmelsberger, who is six and two, taking on Carlton Minus, who is ten and one. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Minus open minus three sixty five, the comeback on Semmelsberger at plus two fifty five. And right now looking over at Circus Sports, we are seeing minus minus one twenty, the comeback on Semmelsberger, even money. So we're talking about a price drop from plus 255 to even money. And of course, all you guys that gobbled up that plus money, hats off to you. You got extreme value, win or lose. I mean, there's no way that price should have been set that high. This is definitely a competitive matchup. This is definitely a competitive fight. You know what? I love it. I think it's going to be entertaining. I think it's, a, again, a, a good matchmaking um from the UFC, because I think both these guys love to stand and bang. I think both these guys are exciting fighters and again, deserving of this roster spot, to be honest with you. So minus, I think is probably a little bit more crafty on the feed. I think he's got a little bit more speed. I think he's got a little bit uh, better conditioning as a whole. I think he could definitely utilize some of that skilled speed and land a little bit more frequently on Semmelsberger, but Semmelsberger, make no mistake about it, man. The guy has a lot of power in his hands as well. He likes to stand and bang. He's got a good clinch game. He's got powerful elbows in the clinch as well. Um, he has the better ground game of the two, I believe as well. So there's a lot to like about Semmelsberger here, even though I think minus has a little bit of a striking edge. I think Semmelsberger is a little bit stronger overall, probably hits a little bit harder. Um, and again, capability on the ground. I think if he is able to get this fight to the ground, we all minus in um, the PFL struggle on the ground with Rick Story. Of course, that's a savvy vet in Rick Story. I understand that. But again, Selmosberger, up and coming fighter, working on that ground game, has that ground advantage, has power on the feet as well. This is going to be a very competitive matchup. It'll go back and forth. I can see it if it hits the scorecards being a split decision type of fight. So I think it's more accurate right now around minus 120, around a pick em type of fight than again, the opening line certainly indicated. So that being said, I'm going to pick minus slightly um, here to get the W, not a confident pick, because, again, I think if minus gets put on his back or on the floor, I think he can lose this fight. I think even, again, on the feet, he's in danger at times to uh, Selmosberger's power. But that being said, I think, again, he is probably the better overall striker. I think he can probably utilize that to outpoint Selmosberger and out and get a close competitive decision win um, on his resume here. So it should be a very close fight, a very good fight. Uh, good luck to you guys that took that dog money, like I said, but I'm going to probably still lean with minus just slightly in what should be a very exciting fight. Yeah, this is a competitive matchup. Uh, basically, I expect both of these guys to keep the fight upright. They prefer to keep the fight standing watching them uh, on video. Um, minus um, is, I would say, the more overall talented striker, um, the more technical striker, the more active striker, while Semmelsberger is a little bit more reliant on his pure punching power. Like this guy looks for the big knockout. Um, now watching minus, uh, while he is, I think the better offensive striker, um, he does have a few defensive liabilities that he is hittable. So where Semmelsberger isn't, I don't think able to keep up with minus's pace and activity and, uh, overall technique. Um, Semmelsberger can make up for that with power. So 
this will kind of be that cat and mouse game where Minus is getting in there, scoring his points, and Samuelsberger is going to be loading up looking for that big finishing blow. So there's a very real possibility that Minus is winning this fight all the way up until he loses it when Semmelsberger lands a monster shot and hurts him. So I'm going to pick Minus because I do think that he is the more talented striker, and I think this fight stays upright. But uh Semmelsberger has that equalizer with uh, the superior power, and if he does connect with something nasty, Minus could be down for the count. So I'm picking Minus, but just be careful and... Uh, potentially, uh, if you're gonna bet Semmelsberger, I'd say if he wins, it's gonna be by knockout. So maybe the Semmelsberger knockout prop would be a better way to go. So, uh, but minus is my pick. Now, moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have Ike Villanueva, who is 16 and 10, taking on Jordan Wright, who is 10 and 0. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Right open minus 150, Villanueva opened at plus 130, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Jordan Wright minus 115, Ike Villanueva minus 105, basically a pick slightly lean towards right. Um, this line did flip to Villanueva being a slight favorite. Now it's coming back a little bit, so there is two action in this fight, and it'll continue to be so. I don't think a lot of people have respect for Jordan Wright. Um, I see a lot of people on Twitter kind of not mocking him a little bit, uh, Beverly Hills Ninja or whatnot. I mean, he did get blasted and, and just destroyed on the UFC Contender Series after his resume heading into the Contender Series was very padded, to say the least. I mean, if you look at the level of competition that Jordan Wright faced overall, wasn't that high, wasn't that strong. Um, so he was able to finish a lot of cans, as people would call them. I understand that. But that being said, you can't deny some of the skill that this guy has, especially offensively. I mean, Wright is definitely a talented fighter. He's got that karate point fighting style on the feet. He's very capable of hurting people with that style. I mean, he's kind of fast, unorthodox, um, utilizes this kicks well, has a little bit of power and finishing ability, good timing with his knees. So he's definitely a legit threat on the feet offensively. Defensively, it's where you've got to be concerned if you're backing right in this spot. Um, I think he is a little bit chinny. I think he is defensively flawed to the point where I mean, once you let your hands go on this guy and start connecting, I think he could be in some serious trouble. So he needs to tighten up that defense a little bit more. But I think overall, uh, this is the better fighter of the two. Villanueva, though, is definitely a, a savvy veteran in this spot. I think he's definitely more durable of the two. Um, he's been in there with a lot of good competition overall. He's going to be physically a little bit stronger, um, of course, as well. And again, just a tough, savvy gritty vet that's going to come in there, get in your face, hits really hard, um, and he's willing to eat a couple punches or kicks, whatever it takes to get in there and, and try to get the job done. That's kind of what you get in uh, Villanueva. But I think overall, I still have to side with Wright, as, as crazy as that sounds, because I think he's got more finishing potential. I think he's just a little bit more diverse in his overall finishing capabilities. That being said, uh, Villanueva could definitely step in here and probably knock right out. So another pick-up type of fight I think is very accurate because I could say Villanueva, like I said, weathering an early storm possibly and then just connecting and, and making life miserable for Wright. Or I could see Wright landing something flush early and maybe hopping on a submission. I mean, this guy, again, unorthodox freak in a good way as far as skill set goes because offensively this guy can get it done. So this should be another fun fight. Should be fireworks. But again, I think a lot of people are kind of disagreeing with me here, but I'm going to go with Jordan Wright. I think that offensively he's talented enough to make life miserable also for Villanueva. But again, this is one of those fights that I think as it progresses, um, it's going to get interesting for sure. But I'm going to lean with a more talented offensive fighter, and that's right to me. And I will have to come in here and disagree. Uh, th there's a couple things going against Wright. Uh, first off, he is coming in on pretty short notice again uh, to take on Villanueva. Um, secondly, he is a middleweight that is moving up to light heavyweight to make his UFC debut. And typically when that happens, fighters are outclassed, uh, they're outsized. Um, and where Wright has the biggest edge is probably the ground game here. And I think that's going to be a lot tougher taking down a light, uh, a legitimate light heavyweight in uh, Villanueva. So, uh, I think that a lot of right strengths are going to be taken away. Now you look at, uh, Wright's opponents. Um, he definitely has fought some cans throughout his career. 
uh, you know, there was even a dude that he faced in uh, XFS that was 0 and 21. He faced him, then he followed that up by beating up on a guy that was 0 and 10. Uh, he's faced a guy who was 0 and 5. Um, he did finally face some decent competition, um, like on Tuesday night contender series, and he got crushed in 40 seconds. Uh, by Anthony Hernandez, who has had a pretty up and down UFC run so far. Uh, his last performance in LFA was good though against Gabriel Checo, uh, getting a second round, uh, TKO with, uh, knees and punches. Uh, but for the most part, he's been a can crusher. And when he finally did get, uh, the good test, he, he did not pass it. Um, so I think, uh, he's going to be undersized, super short notice, um, and if you look, he has only gotten out of the first round one time in his entire career. And that was his last fight. And that only went, you know, 48 seconds into the second round. So for Villanueva, for me, uh, with a super short notice opponent, uh, taking on somebody that's going to be bigger and stronger, as long as Villanueva is able to survive that first round, I, I mean, how do you have any confidence that Wright is going to have the gas and, uh, and the ability to go a potentially three full rounds. Um, you just can't trust that. So, uh, Wright is pretty talented, but I mean, he just has not faced the same level of competition that Villanueva has. Uh, you know, Villanueva has beat, you know, multiple UFC veterans by knockout. Um, I mean, yeah, he is up there in years at 36 years old. Um, but, uh, this is a guy that has a long track record. So, uh, you know, he's fought in Bellator, he's fought in Legacy, I mean, he, he, you name it, he's fought in it, uh, and while the UFC debut didn't go particularly well, he was facing a heavyweight moving down, now he's facing a middleweight moving up on short notice. So, I'm not gonna be picking Villanueva to beat a lot of guys in the UFC, but I think this is a winnable fight, so I'm not gonna be turned away by an opponent that has an undefeated record. Uh, because I mean, even this underrated, undefeated record is a little, uh, misleading because he did lose in 40 seconds to, and to Hernandez, but that result got overturned because I think Hernandez tested positive for weed. So, um, I'm going to go with Ike Villanueva. I just think there's too many, uh, intangibles going against Jordan right here. Now, dropping down to the welterweight division, we have Dwight Grant, who is 10 and 2. Taking on Kalen Bourne, who is seven and one. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Grant opened minus four hundred. The cam- comeback on Bourne at plus two eighty. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Grant minus three fifty. The comeback on Bourne at plus two ninety. So again, line margins have kind of tightened up a little bit. And there is two action coming in this fight, and I'm expecting a lot of two action. A lot of people aren't going to hesitate to to bet Dwight Grant here at this spot. He's one of these kind of hyped prospects that has a lot of skill, a lot of potential. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I like what I see from Grant. I think he's got speed. He's got power. He's got finishing ability. I, I think at times he's a little bit too hesitant, and he doesn't let his hands go as often as you like. You want to see him a little bit more aggressive. But I think hopefully as he gets more comfortable in the octagon, um, that will kind of continue to come. He had a big win over Joban in his last fight, a competitive fight, but I mean, he got in there with a top tier fighter and I think really got tested and proved that he, he definitely belonged. And I think we'll get only better from there. So again, this guy has the athleticism, has the speed, has the power, um, has the ability to make life miserable for most of his opponent opponents. But that being said, born on the other side of him, oh man, this guy is such, a tough out because I mean, obviously he's stepping in here on short notice again and, and trying to, um, you know, obviously make the UFC roster, getting his opportunity in the UFC. But this guy is another one of these savvy vets um, from Access TV. We've seen him fight in LFA. We've seen this guy, you know, kind of on the regional scene for a little while now. And, and this guy's a gritty, tough, hard-nosed fighter. Comes forward throwing bombs. Um, he, he has a good ground game. Good. Decent wrestling to go along with uh, good grappling and finishing ability on the ground as well. So this guy is just one of those guys that is just relentless. He's on top of you. He throws with power. He throws to get you out of there. He does start gassing as the fight progresses a little bit, of course, because he throws with so much intent every time out. Um, but again, he gets you on the ground. 
you're in some trouble there as well. He's got the ability to finish you on there as well. So this is going to be a very difficult fight, I think, for Grant. But I think it's it's a type of fight that Grant can kind of use that speed and use that athleticism a little bit to kind of eat Bourne up on the feet, meaning that he's going to be tagging him. He's going to be connecting. He's going to be kind of lighting Bourne up as this fight progresses a little bit. And he should have the takedown defense to keep this fight upright. So if his fight IQ is on point, this is a winnable fight for Grant. So I'm going to pick him to win. I just think at the betting window, again, the type of fighter that Bourne is, the pace that he's going to set and how he comes so hard in the fight, meaning I don't think it's a very good spot to lay that kind of chalk and lay 350, lay even over 300 in this spot. I don't think it's a good idea. So it's a dog or pass situation. Um, and I think Dwight Grant probably does get it done. So that's why it's so difficult at the betting window in this one as well. So my pick is Grant, what should be another exciting fight because Bourne will make it that way. There's not going to be a choice here for Grant. He's going to come in here and he's going to have to throw. So the pick is Grant and what should be a pretty fun fight. Yeah, the last time Grant was a huge favorite like this and had the high expectations, I mean, he really crapped the bed. Uh, that was when he made his UFC debut against Zach Otto. I mean, I was there in person for that, and it was just not an impressive performance. He just would not pull the trigger, and he allowed his I, – I, it felt like he was so concerned that his opponent was going to shoot for takedowns that he was unwilling to engage on the feet and potentially leave an opening for a takedown. And it allowed Zach Otto, a guy that is, you know, not a particularly lethal striker, to actually outwork him on the feet and win a decision. Um, it was just an ugly, ugly fight. Um, and that's what I'm a little bit concerned about because, I mean, that is born strength. Um, his last four stoppage wins are all submissions. So this guy is going to want to get this fight to the floor. Um, and if he does, I mean, that's going to take Grant out of his game because, uh, Grant definitely has an edge on the feet. He has power on the feet. He's got technique on the feet. I mean, he is a talented, dangerous striker when he's ready, when he's willing to let his hands go. But what if he's so concerned about the takedown that he doesn't let his hands go? Um, that's my big fear here. Um, and if it does... And if that happens, Bourne could be ripe for a big upset. That being said, uh, Grant is by far the superior striker. I mean, it's not even close. And if he is able to keep this fight upright, um, as long as he is willing to let the hands go without, you know, risking an easy takedown, he should be able to light Bourne up. Um, I mean, he has big power. He's quick. He's athletic. He does have some decent defensive wrestling. So he should be able to keep this standing, keep his distance, and connect with big shots. And most likely outcome is Grant by knockout, but he has let me down before. So it's tough to trust him here. Uh, he's looked better in his last two fights, uh, most notably picking up uh, that split decision against Joe Ban, a really talented fighter. Um, so that was encouraging. But it wasn't like he ran away with that either. So, uh, you know, he's fought three times in the UFC and has gone to split decision twice despite his immense talent. So um, it's tough to trust Grant with your money, especially at plus 400. I'm picking him, but there's not a lot of confidence there. So Grant is my pick. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Austin Hubbard, who is 12 and 4, taking on Joe Selecki, who is 9 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Selecki opened minus 140, Hubbard plus 120, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Selecki minus 115, the comeback on Hubbard minus 105. So, more action coming in Hubbard's way. And it's kind of coming in steady that way. It's, the line has been dropping the last couple of days. And we're not seeing much buyback yet on Soleski. So more definitely coming in trusting Hubbard to win this fight. You know what? I mean, I can't blame people out there because if you look at the blueprint or look at the styles that Hubbard's been facing as of late, he's faced a lot of wrestlers, a lot of people that want to get this guy to the ground. So he's been in there, I mean, kind of preparing for a guy like Soleski for a while now. Um, and you know, so this isn't going to be something he's not used to. Hubbard is a very capable fighter. Of course, another one of these LFA vets. 
that came into the UFC, made his debut, had a couple stern fights, tough tests, I should say, already um, at this point of his career. But, I mean, he got a big win over Roshkoff in his last fight, big upset. A lot of uh, hype was behind Roshkoff in that spot, and he was able to get it done and, and pull off the upset and kind of derail the hype train there. So, um, Seleski in this fight is going to have to kind of deal with Hubbard's ability to get back up. Even if you take him down, he does usually get back up to his feet. And then on the feet, I think Hubbard does have the advantage. I mean, I think he is the better um, overall striker on the feet. He has a little bit more knockout potential for sure. So Seleski's going to have to keep on getting these takedowns um, and controlling Hubbard and utilizing that grappling advantage that he has. Because he does definitely have a grappling advantage on the ground. I think Seleski's ground game is pretty slick as you BJJ is slick as well, and he does have good timing with his takedowns. On the feet, I mean, he does have okay hands, but again, Hubbard should have the advantage there. So I think what people are seeing is Hubbard pulling off some of these upsets, Hubbard also getting better in the wrestling department, and I think people are getting confidence that he can be prepared for a guy like Seleski. So in my opinion, I think it's going to be a very close 29-28 split decision type of fight, but I think Seleski is going to get it done because he will be able to control a little bit more of this fight than Hubbard will. So Hubbard will have some success on the feet, and I think Seleski's going to have to weather that storm and maybe even survive to see the scorecards at at a certain point or another. So um, it will be that type of fight. It's going to be a dogfight. But I am going to lean towards Seleski. I think he does have the advantage with his wrestling here. Despite Hubbard being prepared for it, I think Seleski still does enough to outpoint him and get the W here. So the pick is Seleski, and at the betting window, it's probably a pass overall. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you look at who uh, Austin Hubbard has faced so far in his UFC career, um, having, you know, Debbie Ramos, Mark Madsen, uh, and then most recently Max Roskop, uh out of his UFC opponents. I mean, just grappler after grappler after grappler. They just keep throwing them at him. Um, now he was finally able to overcome the grappler in his last fight in a uh, Roshkoff. Uh, but I, I feel like Selecki is going to be a much more savvy, uh, veteran type of grappler. Roshkoff was that young up and comer, a pretty hyped prospect that was fighting on short notice, making his UFC debut, started strong and just completely ran out of steam. And it just did not go well for him after a, a decent first round. With Solecki, I think that, I don't think that's going to be nearly as much of an issue. You know, this guy has been in there. Uh, he's been competing against decent competition. And while, uh, you know, he is, uh, another guy that, you know, might be getting hyped up a little bit. Um, I feel like he has the skills to, uh, push Hubbard and, in my opinion, take two out of three rounds at least. And while Hubbard could, you know, weather the storm and, come back and win the third round. I don't think Hubbard really has that big finishing ability and big power, big enough one punch power to, to take Selecki out. Even if, uh, Hubbard comes on strong late. Um, I think, uh, Selecki is, has a good enough wrestling to repeatedly take Hubbard down. I think that he has good enough grappling to get on top of him and get some dominant positions potentially. And, while Hubbard is the better striker, I think Selecki can take him out of that game. So, uh, I'm just, I'm gonna go with Selecki. I think, uh, this is a guy that is a very talented, uh, grappler. You know, he put on a dominant performance against Matt Wyman. Um, you know, this is a guy that looked pretty strong on contender series. Um, so yeah, I think Selecki is a really good up and comer. And, uh, while Hubbard was able to fend off a good prospect in his last fight, uh, this is a much more prepared prospect in Selecki that has uh, more experience. And I do not think will fade, uh, taking a fight on short notice in his UFC debut like, uh, Roscoff did. So Selecki is going to be my pick. Now... Dropping down to the strawweight division, we have Mizuki Inoue, who is 14 and 5, taking on Amanda Lemos, who is 7, 1, and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Inoue, open minus 135, Lemos plus 115, and right now what we're seeing over Circus Sports, Inoue minus 125, Lemos plus 105. So, again, another spot where... 
Two action is coming in, a little bit more dog action coming in today, actually, on Lemos. Um, but we will see some action bet on in a way as well. I mean, this should be a, a very highly competitive ladies fight that, I mean, at 115 pounds, I mean, this is going to have a big impact on the future of the division because I think both these ladies are extremely, extremely talented and will eventually get their shot at contending for a possible title. So that's the talent level I think both these guys have. And that's the caliber of this fight. Both these ladies have, excuse me. And that's the caliber of this fight. So I'm impressed, man. I mean, there's nothing really bad you could say about either one of them. I mean, I guess you could look at Lemos's cardio a little bit, her conditioning. That's, if anything, that's what disappoints me. I think, um, she needs to definitely get that in check a little bit and continue to work in that area. If she does get that in check, man, I'll tell you what, I'm telling the ability from her and the potential that she has, because Lemos is one of these fighters that on the feet, she's so fun to watch. I mean, her striking ability, she's got power. She's got finishing capability. She's got that kind of killer instinct as well. And then on the floor, on the ground, you saw what she did to Granger in her last fight, man. I mean, she's not a fish out of water on the ground, obviously either. She's very capable of finishing fights. I mean, she put uh, Granger to sleep. She put her out. Granger didn't have time to tap. That's how devastating um, her submission game can be as well. So Lemos is one of these ladies that's just out of this world as far as offensive talent and finishing abilities. Just, again, having everything working for you at the same time with your conditioning in place and kind of fine-tuning all that to to get to that championship level. That's where she needs to focus on and work on the most, I think, at this point. In a way, on the other hand, is I think a little bit more obviously conditioned. She's a little bit more um, – Technically sound as far as – I mean she's a little bit more steady. You know what you're getting with her. I think she is underrated on the feet. She's very capable of doing some damage there. She has a good ground game to go along with it. Um, so I think she's only getting better. She's fought a lot of good competition. Um, there's no real flaws in her game other than at times with aggressive opponents, um, she can kind of – Maybe be a half a step behind, meaning that Lemos, I think at the beginning of this fight, might be able to dictate and control um, the tempo of this fight, land the harder shots, maybe get top position here as well. So those are some issues that, in a way, is going to have to kind of stifle and, and try not to get herself caught up in with Lemos. I think if she could do that, then obviously she could win this fight. So this is another, again, high caliber coin flip type of fight. I've been going back and forth on this myself because I am kind of worried a little bit about Lemos's conditioning. But that being said, man... I really believe that she is the more talented of the two offensively, and I think uh, I'm going to go. It might be a trend for this card, but I'm going to go with a more talent on offense here in this spot. Um, even though there's a, a little bit of a question mark with her conditioning, I think she's capable of improving to the point where she could, even if this does hit the scorecards, she could get it done. So it'll be a close 29-28 type of decision win. I mean, if if there's going to be a finish, I think it's Lemos actually finishing in a way, which is crazy because in a way is very tough to finish. But if there is a finish in this fight, I think it's her. Um, and again, if it's a decision, I think it's going to be a very razor tight, close split decision type of fight. But I am going to go Lemos's way. So my pick is Lemos and what should be an awesome ladies scrap right here. And I'm going to go the other way. Uh, Lemos did look good, uh, in that performance against Granger, um, dropping down to 115 for the U, for the UFC after fighting at 125 in her debut. Uh, while anyway actually debuted at 125, even though she's historically fought at 115. And she put on a decent performance against Yan and Wu, who is a, f- a flyweight and, uh, was able to beat her. So, uh, I was pretty impressed. With, uh, that Inoue was able to do that. And something you have to say about Inoue, you know, she's still just 26 years old, but she has been fighting for a decade. She's literally been fighting since she was 16, uh, back in the Jewels promotion, a, a female, uh, Japanese fighting promotion, basically the Invicta of Japan. Um, and, uh, and she has a very long track record. I mean, I remember watching her for the first time back in 2014 when I was, you know, watching all the, the, the original Invicta fights. Uh, she took on Carolina Kavalkiewicz when Kavalkiewicz was undefeated, uh, you know, near, near the top of her game and lost a split decision back when she was 20 years old, uh, maybe even 19 at the time. Uh, so she is super talented. I mean, she's faced uh, some very good fighters throughout her career. And while she hasn't always beat them, I mean, it's been close. Uh, split decision loss to Kavalkiewicz. Split decision loss to Virna Jandaroba, 
uh, in Invicta. So, I mean, she has been right there. Um, and I think that she's more than deserving of, uh, potentially, uh, climbing up the ladder here at 115 in the UFC. Uh, she's just a very talented, experienced, savvy fighter. On the feet, she should have a pretty good edge, I feel, against, uh, Lemos, who did get TKO'd, uh, against Leslie Smith in her UFC debut. Uh, granted, again, that was at, uh, flyweight, but, uh, I think Inoue should be able to get the better of Lemos on the feet. And on the ground, while I do think Lemos is the more dangerous submission threat, um, Inoue went, you know, the full fight with Jandaroba, one of the better submission fighters in the 115-pound weight class. I mean, we literally just saw Jandaroba annihilate a longtime veteran in Felice Herrig, uh, just completely overran her. And uh, Inoue held her own with her. I mean, that was a close fight, split decision loss in Invicta, and it wasn't that long ago. So uh, I feel like Inoue's right there. I mean, she's got uh, by far the edge on the feet, very good, solid technical boxing. Uh, my only issue with Inoue is sometimes she just does not press her advantage enough. I mean, that has, that's been one of the reasons that even though she is so insanely talented and she's been fighting for so long, that, uh, she does come up short in these close decisions throughout her career. I mean, the three best opponents she's faced, she did lose a decision to. So uh, I would say that Lamos is right up there in terms of talent. This would probably be one of the best wins of her career if Inoue gets the win. So uh, I I do feel like Inoue is still growing. I think that she is really talented. And while uh, Lamos is the bigger submission threat, um, Inoue has shown so far that she can handle uh, a good submission fighter. And I expect Inoue to get the better of uh, Lamos on the feet. So I'm going to pick Inoue. I think that she outpoints Lamos on the feet and wins a decision, but it could be close because Inoue does have a tendency to fight to the level of her opponent. And while I think that she's better, she might uh, drop her pace enough to make this close. So I'm going to pick uh, Inoue to win a close decision. Now, moving on to the main card, uh, we have a welterweight contest featuring Takashi Sato, who is 16 and 3, and Daniel Rodriguez, who is 12 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Rodriguez open minus 130, Sato plus 110. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Rodriguez minus 195, the comeback on Sato at plus 170. So needless to say that Rodriguez minus 130 price did not last. I think people are on the right track here. Sato, look, he's a very talented fighter, knockout artist, artist extremely dangerous on the feet. And that's what Rodriguez likes to do as well. So this should be fireworks. I mean, both these guys are going to want to stand and bang, and both these guys have knockout capability for sure. I think Rodriguez is just a little bit more of the well-rounded fighters of the two. Like he's he's got the total complete skill set. His ground game is a bit underrated, um, but he can also stand and bang obviously as well. So I think he's got more ways to win this fight. I think he's more capable and more durable in this fight than Sato is as well. I think again, Rodriguez have to, has to respect Sato's power. Sato can get in there and knock anybody out in this weight class for sure. But I still think the durability of Rodriguez and the ability to fire back and do some damage along the way, and then possibly get the fight to the ground and utilize his ground game against Sato. I just like all those advantages there. So it isn't a dog or pass situation. I think this is a favorite or pass situation. I, I think anything uh, under 200 is probably a little bit of value. So those people that came in early at minus 130 and gobbled it up, uh, again, hats off to you because I think that was an extremely good price and uh, a great take at that you know minus 130 price tag. So that said, Good luck. He has to go out there and win it, though, and it gets a very dangerous opponent, like I said, Sato. So I think it's basically Sato knockout or bust, and I like what I see from Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez can knock him out, Rodriguez can submit him, or Rodriguez can win on the scorecard. So I like Rodriguez here, and I'm going to pick him to win. Yeah, I'm a big believer in Rodriguez. Uh, this guy is insanely talented. He has some submission skills. He's a talented striker. He's athletic. He's powerful. 
Um, and he pushes a good pace. I mean, he can beat you by decision. He can finish you with uh, his ground game, and he can knock you out. I mean, we've seen a little bit of everything from him so far, if you just look at his last three fights. So, you know, this is a guy on the rise in the UFC welterweight division. And while Sato is dangerous, um, I feel like uh, he's definitely more of a one-trick pony. I mean, this guy has a lot of power, but I would say the technique isn't quite there, and he does not have uh, a super well-rounded game. I mean, when he loses, uh, he can get knocked out. Uh, we've seen him get knocked out back in Pancrase uh, in the first round, and uh, in the UFC, we've seen him get submitted uh, by Bilal Muhammad. Now, granted, that was more a conditioning thing, where he really started to slow down and Muhammad just took over with takedowns. Um, but this is the game plan. You know, just don't get knocked out by Sato and you're probably going to be okay. Uh, now, granted, you know, that's not easy because Sato knocks a lot of people out. I mean, his last fight, Jason Witt, first round knockout. Ben Saunders, second round knockout. And then you just go throughout his career. It's just knockout, 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 knockout. Almost every one of his wins is a knockout. Uh, so Rodriguez is going to have to keep those hands up. He's going to have to have good defense going. He can't just charge in there with reckless abandon because Sato can knock anybody out. He has lightning in his hands. But that being said, Rodriguez is by far the more talented fighter here. So this could be a similar situation to where, uh, the, the minus Semmelsberger fight where, uh, Rodriguez is winning this fight all the way up until he loses it. If Sato lands that big bomb and finishes him, but, uh, I still, I, I'm going to side with the more talented fighter here. Uh, Rodriguez really hasn't shown a bad chin or anything. I feel like even if Sato lands a good shot, I think Rodriguez can survive it. Um, and, uh, Rodriguez should be getting the better of Sato over the course of three rounds, potentially finishing him along the way. So, uh, and I definitely feel like if Sato does not finish Rodriguez in like the first round and a half, Rodriguez is just going to completely take over because Sato does slow down. Uh, and he can be worn out as we saw in the Muhammad fight. So my pick is going to be Rodriguez. I think he gets the job done. I think he gets a second or third round finish along the way. So Rodriguez is my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Maria Agapova, who is nine and one, taking on Shayna Dobson, who is three and four. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers' perspective on this one? Agapova opened minus seven hundred. The comeback on Dobson plus five hundred. Right now, over at Circus Sports, minus fifteen hundred, plus nine forty-five. Yeah. I wasn't going to let that market opener sit at minus 700. I mean, there's no way I could. So I opened it a lot higher than the market pricing that came out there. And then everybody kind of came up to our pricing and then we bumped it even more to minus 1500. So right now at Circus Sports, we do have the highest price on Agapova. And for a reason, I mean, I just think I look, I have a lot of respect for every fighter that steps in the cage, but. In this spot here, Dobson is just outclassed severely. I mean, I just don't understand or see how she can win this fight. She doesn't have a better ground game. She's not the better striker here. Agapova just has an advantage clearly across the board. I mean, outside of her going into the cage and kind of getting a self-sustaining injury, I really think this is a great fight for her. Dobson does have a little bit of power on the feet for sure. you got to respect her striking a little bit, but Agapova, I think, could kind of walk right through those punches. If she wants to get this fight to the ground, I think she could get it to the ground. She doesn't have to do that. She could win on the feet. She could win on the ground here. I mean, again, every possible way. I don't think this fight gets out of the first round, to be honest with you, because I do think that her aggressiveness is going to play a big role in this and she's going to get Dobson into trouble early on. And like I said, either take her back, submit her, choke her out or possibly just get in position and, and uh, get a, a TKO stoppage. So I believe Ogapova is obviously uh, just a terrible stylistic matchup for Dobson and she's going to be more than capable of winning this fight. So you can't bet this fight where it's priced at right now. I think you just have to watch and uh, enjoy the finish that's coming because it's going to be a Gapova. If you're going to bet it, I should say you can maybe look at a couple props out there and uh, bet inside the distance or knockout or submission, but it's going to probably end that way. So my pick is a Gapova and I do think she gets it done fairly early inside the distance. 
if you look up the word showcase fight in the dictionary, there's going to be a picture of this fight between Agapova and Dobson right next to it. Uh, I mean, that is what this is. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, Dobson is on a three fight losing streak, including most recently getting crushed in 40 seconds, uh, against Cachoeira, who was, I mean, that was literally a fight between the two worst women's flyweight on the roster and she lost. She should have been cut. Instead, she's still in the UFC with a losing record and she's taking on someone who has one of the brightest up and coming futures in uh, Maria Agapova. I mean, she is tenacious. The, the beatdown she put on Hannah Cyphers in her last fight was incredible. Um, I mean, this girl is really, really talented. Um, and I just do not see any way that Shayna Dobson can win this fight. I mean, Agapova is so much better than Dobson on the feet. She puts together combinations. Um, she has, uh, and, and I just don't think Dobson can just take the punishment that she's going to be dishing out. Um, you know, Dobson just has no momentum whatsoever. I mean, other than some kind of fluke accident, where she injures herself or something horrific happens or just the most horrible, unlucky thing. I just don't see how Shayna Dobson is going to be able to hang. Uh, Agapova is somebody that I already have ranked in uh, my top 15 at women's flyweight after one fight in the UFC. I mean, that's how good she is. I see her as uh, a future contender at 125 in a division that just has really had trouble finding champions interesting title challengers for Shevchenko. I think you give Agapova uh, a couple more fights uh, after this one, because I expect her to win quickly against Dobson. Um, I think that they will throw her in there against uh, Shevchenko. I mean, she's that good. So I think this one ends quickly. Uh, Agapova should completely dominate and she is a massive favorite for a reason. So uh, Agapova is my pick. Now, Moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have Mike Rodriguez, who is 10 and 4, taking on Marcin Procnio, who is 13 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Mike Rodriguez, minus 170. Marcin Procnio, plus 145. That was the opening line, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Rodriguez, minus 220. Procnio, plus 190. So more action coming in Rodriguez's way. I understand it. Not much respect going Procneo's way at the moment. I mean, coming off two devastating knockout losses with all the hype coming into the UFC and then just performing like that. I mean, I don't think the, his stock is high for a reason. A lot of people are definitely not confident in his ability. So I think with the time off almost two years now, it's probably mentally and physically going to be better for him, not rushing back in there, kind of recovering a little bit. And I think Procneo is better than most people anticipate. I think he does have some skill on the feet. He's got finishing capabilities, and this isn't going to be necessarily an easy fight for Rodriguez. So it will be a test, especially how Rodriguez has performed. I think uh, another underachiever in Rodriguez coming into the UFC after a pretty impressive Dana Waite contender series performance or whatnot, um, you know, then just doing okay, high expectations for him, and then just kind of performing like he did in his last fight, especially against uh, Jung. So I, I don't know. I mean, he's up and down a little bit, Rodriguez is. His conditioning definitely needs to be worked on and, and continue to improve. But the guy does have some talent, man. He's got that athleticism. He's got that length. He's got devastating knees. He's got a really good clinch game, and he's got knockout power. So, I, I mean, it's there. Offensively, this should be fireworks because both these guys – are capable of finishing people and their opponents. I just trust Rodriguez, of course, a little bit more in this spot. You can't trust him all that much, though, because I don't think there's a lot of value at minus 220 right now where the current price is, though. So that says a lot, especially against Pracnow, who's been, again, just destroyed in the UFC, and, and Rodriguez is sitting here only at minus 220. A lot of people would say the line should be higher, so that tells you a lot right there as well. So that said, I'm staying away from this fight. I think it should be fun while it lasts, but I do think somebody's getting finished, and probably Pracnial is going to be the one that uh, ends up on the losing end of this one. So my pick is Rodriguez. I think he bounces back here and gets back on track in what should be a pretty exciting fight. Yeah, Pracnio came into the UFC with a decent wave of hype, and that has quickly changed. I mean, he's faced two opponents, and he's been finished in the first round both times. Now, granted, the guys he fought aren't bad. I mean, Sam Alvey is a guy that can finish anybody if he lands that big shot. 
And then uh, Magomed Ankalaev, again, pretty talented fighter, uh, really good striker that was able to land a head kick and follow up. Uh, so, you know, it's not like the worst thing in the world that he lost those fights. The problem is the last three times he's faced UFC level competition, he's been finished. Uh, he's been knocked out. I mean, you look not just those Ankalaev and Alvi fight, but his last loss before he went on that big winning streak in one championship to uh, make his way to the UFC uh, was against Alexander Rakic, uh, another uh, good uh, UFC caliber fighter that is in the UFC now and performing pretty well. Uh, he also finished Procnia, Procnio by uh, knockout. So, you know, this guy, durability is a big concern. Um, and while that also is a bit of a question mark with Rodriguez, as we saw in uh, his last fight against Jung, uh, Rodriguez got knocked out in the first round in a minute. So, I mean, whoever lands that first big shot is probably going to win this fight. Uh, that being said, we've seen Rodriguez at least be a little bit more consistent. Uh, you know, he had a nice performance against Adam Milstead, won by a knockout in the first round. So we've seen him actually pick up uh, a quality victory. Um, and uh, we also have seen uh, you know him go the distance with Devin Clark. So we know that he, he at least has the gas tank uh, to go. Uh, and he also had a really strong performance on the Tuesday Night Contender Series against Jamel Jones. So, you know, this is a guy that has some ability. He has some good offensive uh, output. And I just have a little bit more confidence in Mike Rodriguez. Uh, you know, he's had uh, four appearances in the UFC going 1-2 uh, with one no contest, uh, plus the win on Tuesday Night Contender Series, while Procneo has been a big disappointment and has not fought in about two years. So could so not only has Procneo not fought well, he's going to be a little rusty. Uh, so I just have more faith in Rodriguez. You can't trust either guy with their uh, durability, but I just think Rodriguez is a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more seasoned, and has performed better against UFC caliber competition. So I'm going to go with Rodriguez, but uh you know anybody could win this fight whoever lands that first big shot it's probably going to win by knockout so but rodriguez is my pick now moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division we have Ovin St. Prue who is 24 and 14 taking on Alonzo Menafield who is 9 and 1 now nick what's the MMA odds maker's perspective on this one Ovin St. Prue, OSP, open minus 165. The comeback on Alonzo Menafield, plus 125. And right now, looking over Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Menafield minus 122, OSP plus 02. So the line flipped, more action coming in Menafield's way. OSP dropping back down to 205 after that experiment, I would say, at heavyweight. Unsuccessful experiment. I mean, he had his moments, but uh, not... A great fight for him against Rothbull and heavyweight, but he's bouncing back down. Um, and I think rightfully so. If he can make the weight, I mean, he should be fighting at 205 when he can. So Menafield is a good opponent for him. I think this is one of those spots that it's tough, man, because I mean, obviously OSP is the savvy vet that's been in there. He's capable of finishing fights. He's done it against a lot of quality opponents. He's faced the best of the best, been in there with John Jones. I mean, he's faced the who's who of, of the light heavyweights in the world, the best of the best. So Menafield really isn't going to be anything that new to him, although Menafield does hit like a truck. And not that OSP hasn't been in there with heavy hitters before, but I mean, Menafield's speed, athleticism, and that power that he possesses with that frame I mean, it definitely is something that you have to respect. And so it's it's basically Menafield's knockout power that OSP has to be cautious about more than anything else. But other than that, man, I'll tell you, OSP is by far the better mixed martial artist. He's been in there, like I said, with far better competition as a whole. He's got better conditioning for the most part. Menafield does tend to slow down and gas as the fight progresses. We saw that in his last fight. I'll tell you what, even in his loss, though, that last fight probably did Menafield a lot of good. A lot of people were kind of scratching their heads, and they couldn't believe that Clark was able to survive and get the nod over him uh, but again I think that's a great learning experience for a guy in this spot like Menafield that needs to get battle tested needs to get rounds in needs to get better and improve that conditioning so I think that actually 
was a good thing for him. And, you know, he could hopefully learn and get better from that. But that being said, I think OSP weathers that early storm. He's going to have some significant advantages in this spot um, over Menifield here. So I think it's Menifield KO or bust. I think if OSP gets the opportunities that Clark did on the ground with Menifield, OSP will finish it. So I'm going to pick OSP in this fight. I just think he's simply the better mixed martial artist, even though Menifield's capable of exploding and ending this fight early. I think as it progresses, you have to favor OSP. He's got more ways of finishing this fight. I think he could win this fight by knockout. He could win this fight more so probably, especially in this spot on the ground. And I think he probably gets it done. So my pick is OSP, but this would be a huge feather in the cap for Menifield if he can get it done. And I'm going to go the other way. Um, now, Ovin St. Peru is a fighter that is talented, but... I mean, I just feel like at this point in his career, we've seen what he's capable of. Uh, he's not getting any better. He's 37 years old, and he has lost four of his last six fights. So, I mean, taking on a an up-and-comer in Alonzo Menafield, a guy that up until his last fight had a huge hype train behind him, uh, and while it did get derailed against Devin Clark, I mean, it was not completely... Uh, off the rails. I mean, this guy is still talented. He's still capable. Uh, we've seen what he can do. I mean, Paul Craig is a guy that's got some momentum in the light heavyweight division and Menafield took him out in the first round. Uh, so far in the UFC, I mean, watching this fight, um, Ovin St. Preux's best chance to win is to utilize his ground game. Um, but St. Preux also does not have really that good a wrestling. So, uh, I think that he'll have to really put himself in danger to close that distance and try to get this to the floor. Um, you know, Devin Clark is a better wrestler than OSP. I think he was able to mix it up against Menafield, and I think it's going to be a little bit more more difficult for for OSP to do that uh, because you know Menafield faced two grapplers in his first uh, two UFC fights and crushed them both. So uh, on the feet. Menafield is the more dangerous guy. I feel he's more technical. He's got just as much power as St. Prue. I feel like his chin is better than St. Prue's. I mean, we've seen St. Prue get knocked out cold. Uh, and when he faces superior strikers, uh, I think St. Prue gets exposed a little bit on the feet. Now, he does have some nasty power and a good left hook. But as long as uh, Menafield can avoid that, I think that he's going to be in decent shape here. Uh, the main thing I'm worried about is the ground game, obviously. Uh, OSP, if he does get it to the floor, he's dangerous there. He has some funky, uh, techniques on the canvas. I mean, he's known for the, the Von Flu choke, which some people call the Von Pru choke because he's pulled it off so many times. But even back in Strike Force, I mean, he was pulling off calf slicers and all kinds of crazy things against opponents on the ground. So he is dangerous if he can get this to the floor, but, if Menafield can utilize that athleticism and speed, um, I think that he is going to have the edge here. Uh, if, just keep your distance if you're Menafield and just pick St. Pru apart. You should, he should be the faster guy. He should have the higher output. He should be the more technical striker. Um, and I think that he can wear St. Pru down with some big power shots. So I'm going to side with Menafield, but again, I am a little concerned about what happens if Menafield starts to slow down as this fight wears on or if Menafield does get put on his back repeatedly. But I think Menafield's takedown defense will hold up. Uh, and I think that he does walk away with either a decision victory by outpointing St. Prue on the feet or potentially knocking him out along the way because the power is good enough to do it. So Menafield is my pick. Now this brings us to the main event of the evening. In the Bantamweight division, we have Pedro Munoz, who is 18-4, taking on Frankie Edgar, who is 23-8-1. Now Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Munoz minus 240, the comeback on Edgar plus 186. And right now over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Munoz minus 260, the comeback on Edgar plus 220. There has been two-way action in this fight. Early on, it was Edgar. Now, as we're getting closer to fight day, it's been a little bit more on Munoz. Crazy to see this line where it's at. I mean, a couple years ago, there's no way you'd see Edgar up underdog like this to Munoz. But it is 2020. It is what it is. I mean, father time catches up with all of us. Frankie Edgar is no longer in his prime. I mean, that's evident. He is making his Bantamweight debut. That's going to be interesting. Maybe he can kind of 
reach what he once had not long ago and, and utilize some of that great, tremendous wrestling and that durability and that grinding style that he has and that great fight IQ, everything. I mean, Frankie Edgar is one of the best pound-for-pound pound UFC fighters that I've ever seen in my life. So let's just start off with that first. I mean, that's how good this guy is. Just legendary performances um, throughout his career, fought the best of the best again. I mean, there's nothing – really bad you could say about the guy other than i mean again he is getting a little bit older he is definitely not in the prime of his career and he's susceptible to getting knocked out at this point his wrestling's not what it was um, even though it's still high caliber and again he's gonna have to utilize that that's his path to victory against munoz here munoz has a sick round game i understand that a really good guillotine choke so edgar has to be cautious about that while going in for those takedowns but outside of that i think edgar overall has pretty savvy and capable Submission defense. So top position here, I think, is a way to get it done. Edgar, if this was a couple of years ago, I'd say he could probably outpoint Munoz even on the feet. But again, even though if, if he is winning and capable of, of doing some pretty good things on the feet against Munoz right now, I think Munoz's power is going to come into play here against that questionable chin of Edgar. And it's not going to be a good combination for Edgar. So he wants to mix things up long enough where he can get the takedowns, get this fight to the ground, utilize that great wrestling and fight IQ and get the W that way. I just don't think he's going to be able to do it. I don't think he's going to be able to to kind of keep that momentum going for five rounds. I think eventually Munoz is going to find a spot and either knock him out or maybe even we see a crazy submission finish when Edgar's a little bit wobbled or rocked or whatnot as well. So I think Munoz is right now in 2020, the more capable finisher. I think this is a good time for him to get Edgar. And I really think that he's capable of, of getting it done here. So it's crazy for me to even say it because I don't think he's the better mixed martial artist. Frankie Edgar by far, in my opinion, is the better MMA fighter in this spot. But the time is everything, and the time is now. And he's getting Edgar that's a declined past his prime fighter. Again, no disrespect. I mean, Edgar, come out here and get the job done and win the fight. Doesn't mean he's still not declining or, you know, kind of on his way out. So I am curious to see how he's going to perform a bantamweight. I hope he does really well, but I just can't trust it. So my pick is Munoz. I think he probably does finish Frankie Edgar. Yeah, this move to Bantamweight for Edgar is something that he should have done, you know, a decade ago, honestly. I mean, he was always undersized. The UFC didn't have a Bantamweight division at the time, but he was always a, a majorly undersized lightweight. And he was super talented enough to become world champion at lightweight. But as we've seen, he has just not quite been able to keep that same momentum as he has dropped weight classes and gotten older. You know, Edgar was a guy that relied on uh, his durability, his pace, his conditioning, and his volume. Um, and as he dropped weight classes, he was really relying on the, the wrestling as well. Um, like, that was really what separated him And uh, when he dropped to, to featherweight and earned uh, some title shots. But he's just not the same fighter that he used to be. You know, Frankie Edgar used to be able to take those big power shots, maybe get rocked, but recover and then come back stronger. Um, but now we've seen him get knocked out in the first round by Brian Ortega, get hurt by Max Holloway repeatedly in a one-sided loss, get knocked out in the first round by Chan Sung Jung in three of his last four fights. Um, Honestly, the last time that he looked good in a fight was over three years ago uh, against uh, Yair Rodriguez. And that was a tremendous performance. But in that fight, he utilized his wrestling more than his striking. And his wrestling is not the same as it used to be. He has had a lot of trouble getting takedowns in his last four fights. So, you know, this is just not the same guy. And it sucks, but father time is undefeated in MMA. And Frankie Edgar is 38 years old. There are not a lot of successful 38-year-olds in uh, the Bantamweight division. I mean, just look what happened to Frankie Signs recently. You know, that's a guy that was known for durability, toughness, and wrestling. And he just got absolutely obliterated in his last fight. Now, obviously, Edgar's had the better track record historically. But, you know, 38 years old, getting knocked out repeatedly, dropping another weight class, and taking on a killer like Pedro Munoz... Uh, I just don't think this spells, uh, this is going to end well for, for Frankie Edgar. Uh, Munoz has power. He can knock Edgar out. He is a tremendous grappler. So even if Edgar does utilize his wrestling, Munoz could just tie him in knots on the ground. 
Um, now, I don't think that that's pro- going to happen because if Edgar does get takedowns, I think that he should be able to avoid getting submitted unless he leaves his neck out shooting in because uh, Munoz does have a pretty nasty guillotine choke. But, uh, you know, realistically, I do not see Edgar winning this fight on the feet. I think Munoz has the the boxing to, to hang with Edgar. He has the power to hurt Edgar. And I don't see Edgar hurting Munoz. Uh, you know, Jimmy Rivera was, I think, the last person I saw that, that rocked Munoz on the feet. And I just think that at this point in their careers, Edgar just does not present as much of a threat. Um, so, uh, unless Edgar is able to grind this out over the course of five rounds and wear Munoz down, which could happen because, you know, he does still have, uh, that good conditioning. Uh, I just, I don't like, uh, at the, I just don't like the chances of Edgar not eating some big shot along the way because Munoz has some pop in his hands and, uh, and he does have that really good ground game. And at some point, I think that he does catch Edgar with something. So my pick is going to be Munoz. I think that he does finish Frankie Edgar as Edgar is dropping down to Bantamweight here. So Munoz is my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 7. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOzbreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Remember, check out MMA Ozbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend. <laughs>